Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. The lack of teachers who have the training necessary to effectively support multilingual learners has been plaguing school districts across the country for years. The pandemic has only exacerbated the problem, putting multilingual learners at greater risk. In this last episode of the season and of the year, we are sharing a panel conversation from our Impact 2021 virtual conference held just last week. Panel members from school districts and organizations around the country came together to discuss how they are responding to this challenge and the plans they have moving forward. Special thanks to Dr. Yolanda Rios, Alice Solis, Jeremiah Lack, and Magda Grape for representing school districts, and to Amaya Garcia from New America for moderating the panel and providing perspective on what the research data is telling us. We hope you enjoy the conversation. We'll see you in 2022 with brand new episodes of Highest Aspirations. As always, stay safe, take care of each other, and have a happy holiday season. I'm really excited to be here and to be joined by a great group of panelists um, and to have this important conversation, especially now given the challenges that the pandemic has presented to teacher and staffing across the country. Um, But before we get started into the real nitty gritty, it would be great if you all could just tell us a little bit about your school district and the EL students that you serve. So just a very brief introduction so that we know a little bit more about your context. Um, Why don't we start with um, Alice? Good morning, everyone. Alice Solis, Director of English Learners Assessment and Special Programs with Turlock Unified School District. Turlock is located in that what we call the heart of the Central Valley. We've got approximately um, 3,300 English learners, which is about 24% of our uh, student population. Thanks. Why don't we go with um, Yolanda? Good morning. Um, Thank you so much for the opportunity. My name is Yolanda Rios and I am currently a principal at White Oak Middle School in New Caney ISD. That's a little bit outside of Houston, Texas. Um, We've had the pleasure to have elevation uh, for the last four years in our district. We serve about um, a little over 5,000 ELs. Um, I was formerly the director of multilingual here in New Caney and have now um, came back down to the campuses. So I'm super excited. My campus in specific, we serve over 900 students, a little bit over 300 ELs. All right, Jeremiah. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Lack. I'm a curriculum program specialist here in Colton, California. We're about 60 miles east of LA. We have a little over 4,000 English learners. Um, and about 60% of those are long-term English learners, and we've been a partner with Elevation for nearly five years now. Great. Um, So first, I'd like to learn a little bit more about the instructional approaches that are utilized to promote your EO students' language and academic development, and how well your teachers are prepared to use these strategies. Um, So actually, uh, Yolanda, it'd be great if you could start us off. Absolutely. Um, so here in New Caney, um, we are a seven steps elevation district. And so that is primarily the strategies that we use to focus uh, for our second language acquisition methods classrooms. 
Um, we uh, have a full day training that we provide at the beginning of the year for all teachers who serve ELs, and we meet quarterly uh, with our teachers who are also serving in dual language. Um, specifically here at my campus, um, we do have an EL instructional coach who serves our teachers and provides those coaching cycles, um, really is a, a key piece into our planning. Um, when we talk about best practices, uh, we meet every week with our teachers um, over the four questions of TLC. And we've had to really respond to some of the needs that have occurred, especially with school closures and COVID-19. Um, this year, specifically with House Bill 4545 here in Texas, uh, we've really had to address um, just a major gap with mathematics. And so really bringing in a lot of um, conversation about getting kids to speak with academic vocabulary and talk about what they're learning um, and really bringing the value back of our face-to-face -face instruction. Um, I think that's been the biggest piece is, um, I think what we all found out during the pandemic was that although all these great digital tools exist, it does not replace high quality tier one instruction face-to-face -face with our teachers. And so uh, we've really just been um, uh, going back to right now, our campus is focusing on steps one, two, and three of uh, seven steps to a language rich classroom. And so really getting kids to talk about to randomize in the classroom. Um, and so as our instructional leadership team, we really are monitoring that. Um, that is kind of our key piece. And um, since I am new to the campus, uh, I didn't want to roll anything out that has already been part of what our district supports. And as a former EL director, uh, we were training on elevation and seven steps. So that's kind of been our key piece that we've been um, continuing on. Just the differences now we're just monitoring it closely and ensuring that um, we are providing students those opportunities um, to, to listen, speak, read and write. Thank you. Um, and I just wanted to also say we're also being uh, joined by Magda Grape, who is the executive director of bilingual and ESL programs in the Grand Prairie Independent School District in Texas. Um, Magda, thanks for joining us. We are actually just talking about the instructional approaches that are utilized to promote ELs, language and academic development in your district and the preparation of your teachers uh, to use these strategies and support ELs in the classroom, if you wouldn't mind. Sure, definitely. Um, I think that uh, because of the pandemic and the really going back to actual good instructional practices, our focus was to do a one-stop shop for um, principals, administrators, teachers, everyone to look for instructional practices that were consistent with the fidelity to the dual language model. We're a dual language district with about 9,900 kids. Uh, we have about 40 something campuses, including elementary and middle. So our, our whole focus was to give permission to teachers on what was what was in the realm of fidelity and what was. And so again, I'm gonna talk about elevation here because that was a huge platform um, and continues to be a platform for us. So teachers can really ground themselves with research-based practices, not only on the strategy piece, but actually looking at some of the content as well. Um, the other big piece is we created 
um, videos we created, you know, uh, again, I think the most, the most beneficial was giving teachers permission to try something a little bit different to develop both language and content. <clears throat> Um, the other thing is we we committed to, when I say we, I'm at campus administrators in our curriculum department, committed to creating opportunities for teachers to create space for ELs in their classroom. So many of our secondary uh, administrators and campus administrators in, during PLC committed to one or two elevation strategies per lesson. So our strategists, our lead teachers, we got to uh, model what those lessons were out of elevation uh, and really talked about content and language at the same time. So to us, that was uh, just a common language, a common voice when it came to the needs of English learners uh, or emerging bilinguals, however, whatever we're wanting to term them now in, in Texas, which is definitely from a asset perspective and not a deficit perspective. Um, but that's kind of, and we have systemic things. So we've got lead teachers, ESL and bilingual, we've got PLCs that we follow. So there is a systemic kind of vertical alignment to supporting kids. Uh, the biggest piece is gonna be the fidelity to what we're doing and the depth so that we're not really just going wide uh, and really going deep. And, and how are teachers supported in, in gaining those skills and understanding how to integrate language and content and how to you know go more in depth? Um, we have uh, what we have year at a glance or instructional focus documents in Texas. And so uh, strategists and curriculum people together have embedded strategies from elevation or videos in so that the teachers can look at and share and, and understand those pieces. Uh, one of the things that we found out about the pandemic was being able to create uh, a very time online on time type mentality for the teachers to go back in and research and look to see what it looked like uh, in the classroom. The other big thing is there's always some support at a campus level, whether it be a lead ESL teacher on the ESL side or a dual language teacher on the bilingual side. And these are teachers that were chosen by uh, their administrators for leadership qualities and good instructional practices. So there's always a go-to person on a campus for um, modeling and or for discussion uh, with strategists. We also have a common Zoom time if teachers need to jump on to ask questions about different things. So my staff continues to create those opportunities even after the uh, day after school, during their off period, they're always available. Great, thank you. Um, and we, you both mentioned this integration of language and content, but I'm very curious about the other skills teachers need to effectively serve EL students um, holistically, but also in how to work with their with their families, which we know during the pandemic became a very important part of, of, of educating all students. And so it'd be great to hear um, a little bit about those basic skills that people need. So when we were faced with the school closures, one of the things and how our district responded is we had um, parent trainings um, through their vehicles with an FM radio station walking them through the lessons. Uh, we we're very privileged to provide um, all students K or actually pre-K through five um, high quality lessons developed by our district specialists. I actually participated in developing some of those lessons as well. 
Um, and they were both in English and Spanish and they followed our one day, one day model. Um, so with that comes the, the responsibility of showing parents how to do that. And so we uh, met with our parents um, every couple of weeks to kind of walk them through that process. Uh, we had uh, open lines of communication, obviously, with the district and translators at hand. And how that's also carried over now is, um, you know, as a principal, because that was when I was a director. Now as a principal um, is, you know, really, you know, brought um, a lot of, of, of um, challenges to light of what we needed to do and to ensure that we were translating not only things that are going home, but like the process and tutoring and supports and making sure that parents um, are, are well communicated of the supports that every district has. So um, that that has been one of one of the areas that we're really supporting our families. Um, in addition to that, you know, we've used some of our federal funds to get translating sets as well. Um, and I just think that we have to continue to see our parents as that piece of, of support to bridge, you know, that home and school connection. And so um, the way that we do that is we continue to invest in our parents and to continue to um, help them get the tools that they need to, to better support their child. I think one of the, uh, because of the pandemic, one of the skills that um, teachers need to effectively teach ELs um, right now on top of everybody's plate is social and emotional learning. But um, social and emotional learning through the lens of English learners and our families. Um, so um, uh, uh, in California, we have the English Learner Roadmap. And one of the principles in that English Learner Roadmap is assets oriented. So um, we're going back to almost like basics. Um, what do you know about the student to be able to support their social emotional needs um, when they may not tell you or in order to teach our content and our standards? I think one, that's a priority for us in Turlock. The other is um, academic rigor. Um, because of the pandemic, we almost forgot what that rigor looked like because we were using a lot of digital tools. So getting back to that academic rigor, um, that's group discussion, students talking and collaborating, um, and meaningful access to curriculum and also extracurricular activities. I think because of the pandemic, we almost forgot how to do those things. So we had to be reminded on what that looks like. And then continuing to use strategies, research-based strategies. Um, we are a GLAD district. Um, and we continue to focus on the LPAC, English Language Proficiency Assessments for California, those speech functions. We're going back to talk about a picture, write about a picture to get students to read and write and talk. Yeah, our challenges in Colton have been very similar to Turlock. Um, you know, thinking about the California English Learner Roadmap and an assets-based approach, um, coming back into the classroom, reminding our educators of the skills necessary to develop healthy collaborative discussions where all students can bring their assets and language to the process um, is something that we're having to kind of relearn. Uh, I think in the pandemic with distance learning, our teachers did a great job in attempting um, to do those things um, in that distance learning environment. But now back in the classroom, we're trying to get that back up while at the same time recognizing that we still have a pandemic that we're dealing with. and so. We don't have a lot of the freedoms that maybe we had before, 
um, but really getting back to that uh, collaborative assets-based approach. Uh, Ms. Garcia, I think another piece from our district was um, the, a lot of the infrastructures got together. We gave hotspots to parents. Uh, I personally got to watch parents go to the school's parking lots and use their internet and Wi-Fi to, uh, to help students. Meals were a huge part, as all you all know, that we everybody kind of just took it upon themselves to feed everyone under the sun. But I think the, the biggest take of it, of all for parents is letting them be okay with being okay. I know a, a tests were hard to, to give during the pandemic and our parents kind of helped our kids along the way when they were having to assess. So the fact, if anything, it really uh, promoted administrators and teachers to realize that our parents are really vested in our kids, in our English language learners, where we tend to have a misconception is all oh, these parents aren't there, they're not helpful. No, this allowed for a lot of aha has for a lot of administrators to see that our parents are there. They're, they're wanting their kids to be successful, whether it, it didn't matter what language, they were going to do what needed to happen. So that was a, a, a big aha for us. Um, the other big piece is creating um, videos from our technology. We have a parent liaison team that put things together. Um, like I said, a one-stop shop uh, answering the phone for our district. We had a phone call and a text message where if parents could ask any question, anything they wanted and someone manned that and answered those questions and filled it out to the right the right people. So I think one of the things our, our district, our parents never felt disconnected from what was going on with our kids. Um, in fact, there were a lot of memes on Facebook and things where parents were doing all kinds of crazy stuff about teachers, but it, but it, it really focused uh, on their need. They focused themselves on the needs of their children and uh, held us accountable for making sure that we were doing what needed to be done for their students. And to me, that was definitely an, uh, an asset for parents and kids in Grand Prairie. Thanks everyone. And thinking about your, your teacher workforce, I'm curious about whether when they come to the district and we're thinking, you know, general education teachers, so we know every general education teacher has ELs in their classroom. Are these teachers coming in with a baseline set of skills needed to serve ELs or are you having to supplement and do additional professional development so that they learn maybe not just the elevation strategy but other sorts of strategies like GLAD that can really assist in their instruction of EL students? In Turlock, um, I don't know how it is uh, in other states, but in California, um, uh, teacher induction programs are now, are now left up to the school districts. And when they were a part of like the county and some requirements, um, those induction programs did include um, serving um, or serving and supporting English learners. But now that districts are taking them over, that requirement of supporting English learner has been taken out. We are exploring in our teacher induction program, utilizing Elevation has uh, professional modules, and they kind of focus on newcomers, long-term ELs, uh, multilingual learners. What is that? As the state and states around us are transitioning from English learner to multilingual learners. Um, so we are looking at incorporating some of those modules in our teacher induction program as they are left up to the district. But prior that um, that um, supporting English learner kind of module or category was a part of that requirement, but um, it varies from district to district. 
And we know that we are working closely with our induction folks here internally to make sure that is um, that void is not a void, um, but that it's a part of our teacher induction program. And then continuing to support teachers along the way, just being a new teacher in this day and age now, and especially with COVID, um, and uh, covering those key um, areas and supporting multilingual learners is one of them. I think Texas has done a, a better job from the university perspective. And I say that because I have children that are gonna be teachers currently. Um, they're having to take some extra courses when it comes to English language learners in their university. Uh, and it's given us opportunity to uh, collaborate with some different professors. Uh, they will, we've been guest speakers in some classrooms where um, kids are about to graduate so that they have a, a better understanding of what's gonna happen when they come to a classroom. Uh, in Grand Prairie, we try to hit every modality. We have face-to-face -face ESL certification classes where our focus is not so much, I mean, is helping them pass the test, but also giving them ideas on how to use the resources we have in Grand Prairie. So there's a face-to-face -face ESL prep class. Then we have a, a module online for people that are going to do a Canvas course. We also have an ELPS Canvas course for uh, teachers that they can take kind of on their own. We have some sheltered instruction or a SIOP model that some teachers um, can take. And uh, if they are on a waiver and they're not certified, that is part of our PD plan for Grand Prairie. So that those teachers go through several of those modules in Canvas uh, for, for that extra support. Um, it is, we've tried very hard to make it very interactive. So it's not just like this one big giant workbook that the teacher goes through. We've, um, you know, I've, I've kind of, um, you know, narrated some things, asked some different questions of people. Um, so, so kids could, so teachers could get what they need. So uh, I think not that they're a hundred percent better to deal with EL kids, but I think we're headed in a good direction to bring awareness and ask good questions. And then the recommendation of their administrators, where those strategies are being, they're holding those teachers accountable for those strategies in the classroom, really give us an idea of what's going on in there at the, at the campus level with those practices. Thanks, Jeremiah, did you wanna add something? Yeah, I just wanted to speak to the fact that um, we do have to support a lot of our teachers, our new teachers and our veteran teachers as California transitions out of what was Prop 227 um, and now moving into that multilingual approach that's being ushered in um, by the EL roadmap. So even, even with teachers that are coming in with an understanding, that understanding um, is constantly needed to be updated and supported. So, you know, and we've we've tried to find um, formats, whether that's Aludo, which is an online learning platform um, during this distance learning environment or professional development to just uh, help our teachers stay up to date as um, servicing English learners seems to be changing so rapidly in California in the last five years or so. In Turlock, we have a English learner task force where um, comments, concerns, data, we bring them to the task force um, and then um, decisions are made there as far as implementation. A challenge I think uh, that we have, and I think other districts have as well, is once you provide the, the PD is how do, you, uh, how do you ensure that it's implemented? 
um, because you want to trust um, teachers that they're, you know, they're adults and they know the right thing and um, those type of things. But it's the application part. Um, the pandemic, like I said earlier, we had to kind of restart all over with turn and talk. Um, and those are best strategies. Um, and we were going, oh, why? Well, we're back here again. Um, and I think others might say the same thing. Oh, we're still going back to turn and talk or partner share. But we want to um, continue to monitor and support teachers with application um, of those best practices because we know they work. They know we know they work. So that's been a challenge for us is that we, we know teachers have a bag of tools and strategies, but it's that application and consistent application. So students get the benefits of those strategies to learn, um, to listen, read, write, and speak. Londa, did you wanna say something? Yes, I just wanna piggyback on what Miss Elise said. I think um, that when we're talking about um, monitoring what's already implementing, what the district's providing, we do have the Canvas courses for ALPS, we do have all those things, but ultimately it relies on the leadership of the campus to enforce that. And I think that has been my biggest aha coming from uh, being a former director to now being on the campus and looking at what are our priorities, because we know that if we gear high quality instruction to our special program uh, students, everybody else is gonna rise to the top. And so, I think um, we're really blessed. Like I said, we have an EL coach, we have a student success coach, and we have an instructional coach on all of our campuses. But specific here at ours, what I love is that ours is a part of that planning and um, we are training our teachers every Thursday. We give them some type of strategy they can take back. But not only that, it's not just on the EL coach, but as a team, we're all monitoring what strategies are being implemented. We're documenting them. We are um, praising them when they're being used. We're sending teachers over. Um, and so just that the monitoring, um, what is that famous quote? You can't expect that you don't inspect. And so we're, we're pretty aligned. We, we haven't put a lot. There's a couple of strategies we're looking at this year with seven steps. Um, and those are the ones that we're monitoring. We're circling back. Our EL coaches, our instructional coach, our student success coaches are doing coaching cycles with our teachers and looking for those specific things uh, tied to ELs. And most importantly is um, ensuring that that academic talk and that um, academic vocabulary is being used within the classroom. Yeah, uh, I would very much agree with Dr. Rios. We have also found that the accountability component coming from site administrators is, is key to effective implementation. And so coming back out of distance learning, our office has spent a lot of time building up the skill sets of our administrators, just reminding them, you know, what does it look like? What is what does quality uh, discourse look like? What does healthy interactions look like? Um, so that they can be the instructional leaders on their campuses. So thinking towards um, building the teacher workforce that you have and that you need for your district. What challenges have you faced in recruiting, hiring, and retaining um, EL teachers, both ESL and bilingual? Oh, Ms. Garcia, from Texas. I'm just speaking from Texas on about California, but Texas, it has been a challenge, but I don't think the recruiting piece is as hard as the retaining piece. We are pretty established district in the North Texas area. So we have people coming and wanna to come to us 
and want to teach in our district. I think the biggest piece goes back to what Dr. Rios and Mr. Lack just talked about is our campus administrators and leadership aren't really doing what needs to happen to keep teachers. Their understanding of what should be happening sometimes is very one-sided and we're not looking at holistically and a holistic approach because it's going to help all kids. And so I think the biggest piece, if we're looking at changes from a university level, from a you know law policy level, is if you are going to be an administrator on a campus and in Texas, you've had to only teach two years before you actually get to go be an administrator, we've got to do a better job of getting administrators ready for that role. We've lost teachers to our nearby districts because it's become easier. And I don't mean that in a sense that they're not doing their job. It's the requirements at some districts compared to ours or the other district tends to be night and day depending on the focus. And as an administrator, if I was one on a campus and I've been one, my goal is to see what do my teachers need and where are my kids and where can I start versus cookie cuttering or throwing the baby out with the bathwater or whatever. So retaining to me is going to be the hardest part because the ones that we've gotten right now are super baby brand new teachers. They're idealistic. They want to go, oh my God, save the world. But we've got to support them in that manner so that they can keep moving. And I think we've we've fallen short a little bit on how to retain them because we're asking a lot of them when maybe it wasn't necessarily what they needed to do. In Turlock, we've been very fortunate uh, in our own neighborhood uh, and community. We have a Cal State University Stanislaus. And so we haven't um, had any of those challenges with bilingual teachers. Um, that's one. Number two, because we have um, had um, uh, the longest dual language immersion program in our county, that tends to track um, bilingual teachers. Um, three, the other thing that attracts not only bilingual teachers in our district, but also just teachers in general, is some of our initiatives. We're very strong. We're a PLC district, professional learning community, and we're also a very strong social emotional learning district. And that right now um, has added to not only recruiting, hiring, and uh, retaining teachers. Some of those initiatives are why teachers come. But as I said, we're also very fortunate that we have Cal State University Stanislaus right in our own community. So we haven't had some of those challenges, even with the pandemic. But like I said, those two initiatives, teachers are shopping. They're saying, you know what, yes, I want to make money, but I also want to go where I'm supported. And there are some initiatives that I believe in and support and that that district can support me in growing to best meet the students that I will teach. So we have had um, some challenges as we've grown our dual immersion program in Colton. Um, we do have Cal State San Bernardino locally, uh, which is a support to us, but we've recently gone from having one dual immersion school to four dual immersion schools. So we now have a greater need for B-clad teachers. So we've actually had to go and find grant funding um, through San Bernardino County. And then we use grant funding to market to teachers that we think may be interested in pursuing a bilingual credential and, and helping them attain that that way. We've also had some challenges with um, designated ELD teachers because in California, 
you now need an additional EL authorization to teach specific designated ELD courses, which are just English learner students. And a lot of um, students coming out of colleges are not taking those additional classes because they come in at additional cost. Um, so as more and more teachers retire from the profession and we have to um, lean on our younger teachers to teach these courses, um, we're having to find ways to incentivize or even find grant money to help these uh, teachers go back to school and get that additional EL authorization. Um, so right now we're, we're looking for as many grants as we can find. Um, Ms. Solis, can you just reiterate the two initiatives that you mentioned? Um, someone in the Q&A asked. Yes, um, Turlock Unified School District, we are a PLC, Professional Learning Community District. Um, and so um, we have built in uh, professional learning community time for our teachers every Wednesday for an hour. And it happens every Wednesday. And not a lot of districts have that. So teachers are looking for, if I'm coming to a district, what support is there for me? And there's built in time weekly to support um, their, uh, their ongoing professional development and growth with that PLC. The second is we are a social emotional learning district. Um, one of our uh, uh, tools that support this is Toolbox, which is recognized nationally. And uh, when teachers come aboard, annually we do a GLAD refresher and annually we do a Toolbox refresher for new and um, uh, continuing teachers so that they can best meet the student needs. And then there is also a question about ensuring the consistency of the application of the PD efforts that you that you put in um, for your EL teachers. And you know, um, we um, one of the I think one of the establishing the EL task force, the English Learner Task Force, has helped create the accountability in our district. Um, uh, without um, without the um, mm, gotcha if you don't, uh, because we're here to support teachers so that Eng our English learner task force has, um, uh, I think has, has been a model to kind of set the, the, the tone of implementation in our district, which has supported teachers with, you, you kind of got to get on board, um, but it's not a gotcha if you don't, because we want to support you. And um, our EL task force um, is representative teachers um, from all of our schools in the district. We have 15 schools. And so teachers have a go-to person to say, what was that strategy? Um, how do I get some more support? So that's been very instrumental in supporting teachers with the implementation of those best strategies that support English learners. Thank you. Um, I'd like to push a little further on this issue of hiring bilingual teachers specifically. We know that this is a big need, not just in California and Texas, but nationally. Um, and Ms. Grape, in your, I hope you don't mind, but in your notes for our preparation for this, you did mention something about the need for human resources departments to better understand what it means to be a bilingual teacher. It's not just that you can speak Spanish, right? Or like Chinese, it's, there's a whole, skill set pedagogy that's needed to effectively teach in these programs. So I guess I'm curious about, you could just elaborate a little bit uh, more on that. And if anyone else also wants to talk about what it actually means to hire uh, and find bilingual teachers. 
I think that um, our HR departments, and I just, I mean, I think all around the world, not just Grand Prairie, um, their understanding of bilingual teachers is there's a misunderstanding of what that means. So part of our goal in this in our district is explaining philosophy to our uh, principals again and our HR people to say it's not just about a body that can sort of speak Spanish to take you know on this job or you know it's someone that has a marketing degree and then went do that not that there's anything wrong with marketing degrees but again we we've got to really get our HR people on board to what quality bilingual teachers because remember if we hire hard we're going to lead easy and during this time it has been such an ordeal because in their minds it's just getting a body in there and seeing what happens and so some of the ideas that we've thought about and thought through now some of it hasn't come to fruition just because we don't have people is looking at diverse population in housekeeping in janitorial services and places like that where those people may have degrees from their home countries they just don't know how to navigate the system through texas either through tea or to whatever needs to happen so we're also looking for those tutors helping those um, professional people sitting in different places in our district to come back and start teaching and help in pulling hr in to help us recruit those people give them that um those those links and ways to come get um their certification because they have degrees they've got great academic language uh in their own in their own language or and or english or whatever so we've got to really give hr and we have been um an opportunity to see, look outside just the professional i went to teacher school now i want to teach that kind of stuff it's looking at all of our resources from everywhere. And just to tell you, I've got two people in my department um, that are going through uh, Texas Tech University to get their certification. They have a certification or they have a degree in their home country. And so we're helping them get through that so that I can use them too in a bilingual classroom somewhere down the road. So HR is a huge part and I don't know that we've done a, a huge service on, on helping them. You hit on something super important. We we actually came across this the same situation. Our our district has an ESL staff class that we do. So our custodial staff that needs to um, develop their English skills. Um, we've been doing that for quite a couple of years now, and um, we actually found two staff members who had a degree in their home country. And I'm like, I just need you to speak Spanish well because you're going to be the Spanish side of dual language. Um, we can get we can get you worked up with the the rest of it. But um, really being creative and innovative and and seeking those partnerships. The other thing is, um, I was very blessed. I, I have a great relationship with our HR department, and so I just tagged along to anything that they did. I would be like, I would even give them suggestions like, let's go to the Valley. Let's go to McAllen. I have family over there. We can just make a trip out of it, but try to try to also um, look um, in, in other places. Um, I graduated from the University of Houston downtown. So I'm a little biased. So I think all of the best bilingual teachers come from University of Houston downtown, but it's a tiny little university. Sometimes people tend to look at the big universities and try to find our, our candidates there, but sometimes it's um, some of the smaller universities that also are have some high quality programs, but really, um, really being creative in that sense. But I think that 
sometimes, I mean, it is hard to get those bilingual teachers, but really it boils down to as well as once we get them here, how we're preparing them and how we're growing them, not just to be good teachers, but talking to them about what their goals are in the future. And I think when people know that you're invested in them, um, they definitely will say customer service has been um, a priority of mine this school year, just with all of our teachers. I just hired a teacher um, and she started today and her mom is um, a dual language teacher across the street at my daughter's school. Um, and so I, I sat with her for two hours, we you know, walked through, because I mean, it's hard to come in in mid-year. And so having a clear system, I think today my light bulb turned on and I was like, we gotta have our own campus induction like process when we do have mid-year hires. We have one for beginning of year, but having a very clear process, um, like who they check in with, um, to make sure they're fully equipped uh, when they come in sometimes in December, or January, February hires. Yeah, I was just going to add that because of this challenge of finding, um, you know, B-clad teachers or, or teachers qualified to teach dual immersion, we've actually included our HR department on our dual immersion task force from the beginning. So as we've expanded our dual immersion team and, and schools, our HR department has been there listening to the challenges that we're dealing with and, you know, speaking to creativity, it's allowed them to understand the problem for the complexities that it is and maybe take more creative approaches to this problem than we would with our normal hiring practices. Um, so it's been really um, enlightening to have the curriculum side of the house and the HR department sitting together at a table, you know, discussing this problem from the ground up together, um, how to address it. Do any of your districts have to rely on bringing teachers in from other countries to serve as bilingual teachers? So here, I, I live in Washington, D.C., and that's a that's a very common practice. No, we Not don't. in my current district. Um, I, I have served in a district before that did have that, the, those uh, systems in place, but not here. The other thing I think, too, Ms. Garcia, is uh, in Texas, and I'm sure other states, I don't know, and I, I apologize for the ignorance in that. I don't know. Um, but we're reaching out to Ready, Set, Teach type uh, programs uh, to really make sure that we are rep that our kids are representing and understand dual language and bilingual students. Um, I I personally, even though I don't have any children anymore in a high school in Arlington, I will go and visit the Ready Set Teach uh, classes to share about English learners and maybe connect kids to different things because start at the university. It has to start down by junior high and high school to get kids um, excited about being bilingual, excited about teaching. Um, it's not just a university type feel. So um, to me, I think that would be another great opportunity for us to recruit and look at is what are what are what are the responsibilities of those ready set teach or grow your own um, type of uh, programmatic pieces at the at the high school level. Um, I know we have organizations that are like LULAC and places like that, um, where kids are part of something, we really need to beef those up um, at the at that high school level. And I say that because I've got children that want to teach. So that's important to me. But I don't think we're doing that very well either. Um, because kids are not choosing to go down the, the teaching uh, pathway. And so getting them excited about um, what they're doing is important. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Ready, Set, Teach is a high school focus sort of teacher academy exposure to careers in teaching to try to incentivize um, high school students. And a lot of 
the momentum you see now around, especially Grow Your Own, is really focused on raising that next generation, people who are in high school, even middle school, and trying to get them interested in becoming a teacher. But we know, you know, there's a lot of challenges that come with that. But I'm curious about if there are any other strategies or solutions that you have tried to implement to address these challenges um, to retaining teachers, because it seems like the recruitment is maybe a little stronger, but the, the retention is, is still a challenge. Um, retention is huge. Uh, one thing we did in Grand Prairie is we used our federal funds to hire extra college students that might be juniors or uh, seniors or sophomores that are going to be bilingual teachers that work uh, strictly for the bilingual department. And we call them, we call them floater paras. They float from here to there and to support. Um, if we know that there's some teachers that are really struggling or may need some more support, we leave them there for a little while so that the teacher gets some support while the strategist kind of coaches both the teacher and the para to support the kids. We're hoping that these kids decide to be bilingual teachers in Grand Prairie. Um, and so I will tell you that 99.9% .9 of my federal fund monies are being used in those bilingual classrooms. The other thing is money. I pay them a little bit more money because they have um, that, that flexibility in their classes. So that has been very lucrative for some of our students because if you go in and you are a bilingual paraprofessional, the pay isn't always as, as, as good as it should be. So I think um, monies is really important and grants to be able to support our DL, I mean, our uh, up and coming bilingual teachers and or the girl that works at Wingstop that her Spanish is beautiful and she just came to the United States and I'm bringing her on board to support our lower grade kids. So any of those kinds of things where we spend a little bit of extra money very intentionally has been very helpful. Um, thanks. I'm, I'm very curious about how you collaborate with local educator preparation programs in your area to ensure that um, the teachers who are coming in from those programs not only are effectively prepared to work with the ELs, but also understand who the students and families are in your school district. Do any of you have any direct partnerships or relationships with those um, preparation programs? We do. We do in Grand Prairie. We've got a lot of universities in the North Texas area. So we have meet and greets from different universities. Uh, our one of our district translators, I have two, is a professor at the University of Texas at Arlington. So that's a tap in for us right then and there. We also are part of the BEAM, which is Bilingual Educators Association of the Metroplex. That is a bilingual organization where they we, we meet with the best of students uh, from those universities to recruit them to come teach. And then we also know the professors are part of our you know, organization. So we know what's being taught. We invite them to our monthly meetings on what's being asked uh, or what is kind of trending or doing in a, in a, at a school district. So that gives us an insight to some things that they might be teaching. Ms. Solis, did you wanna respond? Yeah, I was gonna say in Turlock with Cal State University Stanislaus, um, uh, some of the th things that have resulted because of our partnership with the university has been like, um, you know, the university coming to us, uh, in particular to with our teacher residency program, also with uh, uh, our most recent training uh, regarding equity and access. So because of our partnership, we're uh, kind of the first to, hey, Turlock, would you like to, you know, and so we've been very fortunate um, because of our partnership that has allowed us to um, be a part of some um, 
initiatives that are just coming out or that are on hot topic. Um, so, uh, and it's because of the partnership with our superintendent and the executive cabinet level. Uh, we have, um, uh, you know, um, those uh, associate professor, professors at the university that are, you know, kind of like not only a phone call away, but our regular visitors here on our, at our district office with our superintendent and district office folks on programs to support the district. Ms. Garcia, I think the other thing is creating undergraduate um, pieces for the so kids can come sit in classrooms versus not just student teaching. I think that's been um, something that we really need to look at where kids do observations most of the time, but it's it's just a one piece, two thing, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, do that. Um, any of those kinds of pieces, it can't just be right when they're ready to graduate and teach. It has to be in other um, embedded in other places for kids to understand what it is that we do. I don't think we do that well at times at, at different universities. And Magda, you, you hit the right on because with our university, we're kind of like a pipeline for either observations. Um, they want to come and observe and see it. And then that's kind of their first glimpse of, oh, I think I kind of like what's happening here in Turlock. So true. Yeah, that's interesting you you raised that uh, perspective because we, the, the main partnership we have is through an internship program with our local university, University of Redlands. So many students who don't go the teacher, the, the traditional teacher prep route and become a student teacher, they, they do an internship through us. But unfortunately, with that approach, they don't get that uh, in-classroom experience beforehand. So many times they don't have a complete understanding of what they're getting into um, until they've actually signed a contract and they're being paid um, for their employment. So that's an area that we can work on. And thinking through, so a lot of my research looks at actually the barriers that people face in becoming teachers. And lots of times state policy can prevent Put up lots of roadblocks in terms of the certification and the kinds of things that are required to, to be in a classroom. Um, so I'm very, I would hope that you would be able to share your thoughts, your ideas of how state policy, you know, in your context could um, be changed or adapted or strengthened to, to better support the EL teacher workforce. And also if you have any ideas about how federal policy could play a role in that, that would be great. Um, you know, in my experience, um, teachers who, bilingual teachers, they want to do it because they love it. Um, and it's just, what I have found is that it's the support um, that they either get or don't get in the districts that they're in. And it's up to administrators um, who are um, not necessarily that you have to be knowledgeable, but that you do have to understanding on what their needs are. Let me give you an example. I remember when we first started our dual language immersion program, um, one of the biggest hurdles was having translated materials. And that seemed to take, uh, you know, uh, with all the best minds, you know, in our district, like how do we solve, like, instead of having our newly hired bilingual teachers translate materials, how can we support them? But that took us uh, a while. And now there's, of course, more um, curriculum and supplemental curriculum that's translated for teachers to use. But um, I really believe it's those by teachers in general, they want to do it because they love it, but it's up to those in positions that have some kind of understanding and knowledge what it takes to support 
um, teachers of bilingual, uh, bilingual teachers or dual language immersion to support them. And so that means that at the ground level, you know, you're um, ongoing having those conversations with how to best support them and um, what are some of their needs or topics in preventing them from doing their job and teaching our students to be biliterate or so that students can increase their language proficiency. I think I shared in my one that was one of my uh, questions, uh, Ms. Garcia. I think we have put things in such concrete ways. We've got kids um, that are on the spectrum of language development, even college kids, and making them hit one side, one size, sometimes just deters the kids. Um, they're like, I'm done. I can't pass it. I'll just go teach on the English side and just be a teacher because of some of the recommendations and the things that need to happen. Bilingual teachers in the state of Texas have to have five exams compared to other, other places. So I think I'm okay with the exams. So I think we hold people accountable, but I think there should be levels of proficiency because just like we want our, our L's to move through the language of development, I think a lot of teachers become better. In fact, I've seen uh, paraprofessionals I've hired as juniors that just picked up the Spanish. They were very dedicated and very committed to learning it and looking at all those pieces, but yet we expect them right from the get-go to do this immediately. And it deters a lot of our students because as you know, second and third and fourth generation are Spanish. And I'm one of those and I came from Mexico, so I get it. I've lost some Spanish. I've not built some Spanish. So I think we should be able to create levels of bilingualism and biliteracy in the places that need to happen so that we can continue to grow. And as, an, as a district person, I don't mind signing off on someone doing that needed to happen to get that certification. If, if that teacher has been with me and we've worked on it and they're doing their stuff and we even can give them one of our oral proficiency tests, let's do it but, and give it to me. I'll sign off. I think that's that's got to be the piece or we're going to continue to have a shortage because kids get and I'm saying that because my own children, they get very deflated and they can't do it and they're tired. And then it's one hundred and twenty dollars every single time I reimburse teachers for that when they do it so that they don't have to spend so much money. But that's a huge deterrent. So I think we should be able to do from a policy perspective levels of bilingual so that those teachers and we can recruit more people. Um, unfortunately, we're at time, but I know Dr. Rios, I can tell you want to say something. So maybe just say, oh, no, that's I was just completely agreeing. I, I barely passed my Spanish proficiency test to be a bilingual teacher. I'm just going to be honest. I scored like the point like that you have to get to just barely pass. And my Spanish was so solid after my first year teaching all Spanish. And so I think when it's not your world and you don't have to speak it every day, it's different. But once you're immersed in that, like it, and so I have seen, it's very sad to have seen some teachers that are now just on the English side because of that dang test. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.